I'm speaking on this series called Jesus Changes Everything. Jesus Changes Everything. We're going to look at, historically, how did Jesus impact culture? Because we're always uh, discussing how he's impacted our hearts. And that's everything. But he also, objectively, historians have seen how Jesus has impacted culture. And as we look at those various categories, it's going to cause us to individually worship him. It's going to cause us to have deeper and richer worship for him when we see the greatness of who he is. And today I'm going to speak of of forgiveness in a message called Jesus Demands Forgiveness. Jesus Demands Forgiveness. A few years ago, I was coaching upward basketball. How many of you have ever had a child in upward basketball? Let me see your hand. Okay, a few of you. So let me kind of explain this. It is sponsored by churches. There's a couple of leagues here in Hendersonville. It's a great ministry. Um, you play a sport. After practice, you have a devotional. And then you have games on the weekend. It helps kids to develop their skills in a Christian atmosphere. So part of the spirit of this organization is uh, this reduction of competition. And so they have the rule, and the rule is this, they do not keep score. Yeah, right. Okay, they, they, they may turn off the scoreboards, but they definitely keep score because every single kid playing knows the score. Every coach playing knows the score. Grandma, who came in from out of state, knows the score. That's just the nature of things. I was coaching this a few years ago. A couple of the girls on the team were down in our high school group. And there was one coach who got way too competitive. And this guy was kind of bending the rules. And he was was kind of not operating in the spirit of the program. And I was just really irritated with this coach. I just couldn't believe that... He was making this into something competitive, not what it was designed to do. So I called the timeout. I called my team together and I explained to them. I said, listen, I'm not happy about what's going on on the side of the court. So as a man of God, you know, as someone who's a leader in this community, as someone who has signed a coaching agreement to follow the rules of Upward, and simply as a very mature adult, this is how we're going to respond. We're going to give the ball to our best player, and we're going to score every single time we go down the court. All right? Now, to tell you that people remember scored, Luke wasn't even playing. It was his sister playing, and I relived this story with him this morning in my office. I said, do you remember the game where we kind of ran up the score, and that girl, Desiree, we had her score every play? He said, yeah, you guys won 58 to 6. That proves that, that we do keep score whether the scoreboard's up or not. You know, in the history of religion, in this series I'm going to refer to the Greeks and to the Romans because the Greeks and then subsequently the Romans um, determine the culture when Jesus came, the cultural trends. Traditionally, everyone believed this, be loyal and fiercely loyal to your friends and be very much opposed to your enemies. This was the consensus across various religions before a certain rabbi was born in Bethlehem and started teaching. Jesus changed everything. And Jesus changed the way we view forgiveness. 
Almost every religion believed in fierce loyalty to people who were good to us. But it was not just okay, it was encouraged to curse someone who had been done wrong to you. You were supposed to go to these temples and call upon the gods to bring vengeance and to bring retribution and to bring a curse upon someone who had harmed you. This was not just accepted. This was encouraged. It was the way of the world. It was the way in which people lived. So it was. So it was that everyone up until that time was constantly looking to see if they were shamed or hurt. Because if they were offended in any way, they would call upon the gods and call upon the gods to oppose those. You see, there's two very dangerous words in the world that we often overlook. And it's the words us and the word them. The word us and them has started countless divisions. The word us and them have started international wars. The words us and them have isolated and hurt and damaged. And Jesus came into this culture and he said, I'm going to show you a different way to live. I'm going to show you a different perspective. And we go to Matthew chapter 5, the scripture that contains some of the most powerful, transcendent words the world has ever known. Even those who don't believe in our God and do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God find inspiration from these words. Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 43, says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Let's just let that sink in for a second. This was the dominant message over and over and over again. This was the cultural norm. Love your tribe. Love your people. Love the people that are like you. But hate your enemy. Because your enemy is coming to take your homeland. Your enemy is coming to take your children. Your enemy is coming to take your resources. This is logical. This is natural. This is instinctive. We instinctively uh, are comfortable with people like us. And we obviously give advantages to those who give advantages to us. And Jesus said, you have heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But look at 44. But I tell you, here we are, the transformational power of Jesus. The power of a message. The power of an idea whose time has come. I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Think about this for a second. Not so you can be part of our church or part of our religion or part of this teaching. So you can be sons of the Father, daughters of the Father. You, you are being reproduced. The heart of God is being reproduced in you as descendants of God when you forgive. Verse, verse 40, then it goes on. For he causes his son... To rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, we've been conditioned through songs and cultural expressions to think rain is a bad thing. Bad thing. You know, a rainy day, a cloudy day. But 
This is actually to an agrarian society. Rain is gold to them. Rain is money to them. So he's saying his blessing comes on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors who were hated, by the way, despised. They do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. I want you to take note of verse 47 because we're going we're gonna to expand talk about this a little bit more. You greet only your brothers. There's an important message in there about the greeting that we give and the way we address each other. So here it is. Jesus gives this revolutionary talk about Forgiveness, And he's saying, you love the people who are opposed to you. You love the people who are against you. You love those who, who are trying to harm you. And you pray for them. I want to talk to you a couple minutes about prayer. I am learning to pray more. Prayer, historically in my life, hasn't been the strength. I read a lot of Bible, and but prayer had had been a struggle, but God's teaching me to pray. And one of the things I've done in recent years is I have this prayer list with 10 items on the prayer list. And that is my minimum prayer for the day. Because I figure if I have the most hectic, chaotic day I've ever had, I'm going to pray for at least 10 things. Then hopefully most days it goes beyond the 10 things I pray for. And then there's a lots of different layers of prayer, um, Lots of things we're praying about for this church. Different days of the week, we pray for different missionaries. Different days of the week, I pray for different extended family, like aunts and uncles and cousins and so forth. Different days of the week, I pray for different issues with our nation. Different days of the week, I pray for different churches in this community. When I can get to those. But, but I at least have ten things I pray for every day. And it's a very fluid list. And so... That, that prayer list changes from month to month as the Spirit leads, as needs arise, as God directs my heart. Now, here's what I'm getting at. Most of those ten things, the majority of those ten things, sometimes all of those ten items are people. Because prayer is an expression of love. And, and we pray for things we love. We love our nation, so we pray for our nation. Those who fall out of love with America, no, I don't care about America. I won't pray for America. Whatever. The things we pray for, we pray for our, we pray for our children. I pray for my spouse. I, I pray for things that have my heart. And so when Jesus says, pray for your enemies, it cannot but change your heart. Because prayer is connected with your love. That's why it's so hard to do. It's so hard to pray for our enemies. But Jesus is giving us a key to his heart. Because Jesus loves us when we are unlovable. Jesus loves us when we're rotten. Jesus loves us when we are in rebellion. Jesus loves us when our sin literally stinks in his nostrils. He loves us anyway. That is his heart. And for the people who most offend us and most despise us and who are our enemies, when we love them, we get God's heart. This is not some kind of punitive damage. God's saying, hey, 
because you're walking in unforgiveness, you got to pray for them. Like, you know, like we're giving a writing assignment, right? When sometimes with my kids, I used to, when they were younger, you have to write 25 sentences. You have to pray for your enemies. That's not what God's saying. God's knowing this, that if you pray for your enemies, it connects your heart to his heart. And we move into the supernatural because naturally you are to hate your enemies. Naturally, you're to oppose your enemies. Naturally, you are to disregard your enemies. But supernaturally, you're to pray for them. You're to pray and have God's heart. Now, there's another part of this. I told you I wanted to look at this verse again. Verse 47, we'll, we'll take another peek at it because it's often we overlook this. We get the love and the pray, but it says, and if you greet only your brothers... What are you doing out of the ordinary? When we greet somebody, we acknowledge them. Okay, when I see Richard, I say, hello, Richard, good morning. I'm saying, you, you, you matter, you exist in my world. And I'm, I'm saying hello to you. I'm acknowledging your existence. When I'm at Starbucks and I'm busy and Sid's there every single day. Without fail, we take time and we stop, even though we know we'll see Sid four hours later if we come back. And we say, hello, Sid. Because the greeting lets Sid know he's important and he's in our world and we acknowledge him. When anthropologists will look back upon our culture in this day and they'll analyze the poetic language we use and the words of civility that we use as we greet each other. We use this very sophisticated, very fancy word to greet one another. The word is, hey. Hey, what's up? A good friend of mine had been estranged from his brother for 12 years, I believe it was. Their father tragically died. They meet at the hospital. They sees his brother, and his brother responded, hey. That's how we greet one another. Not really that sophisticated, right? Not really that eloquent. When Jesus was alive, they actually greeted each other with a little more depth. They greeted each other with a word you may have heard of called shalom. So if I would see Dave right, I'd say shalom. Dave, I probably won't say that to you if I run into you somewhere around, around town. That might be weird, but shalom, meaning God's peace be with you. God's wholeness be with you. God prosper you, Dave, right? God's favor be with you. Let the shalom of God, the peace of God, the wholeness, the completeness of God be with you. That's how the Jewish people would greet one another. Shalom. Shalom. God's best to you. And so now do you see the power of the scripture? And if you greet, acknowledge only your brothers. What are you doing out of the ordinary? I mean, it's easy for me to say hello to all you guys because I feel your love. I feel your support. But what about those times when we run into someone who's hurt us and someone who's offended us? There's something within us that I don't even want to say hello to them. They are on the macaroni aisle. Let's go down the soda aisle. But Jesus is saying, listen. If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles, those outside of our context, non-Christian people, do the same. So greet them with the shalom of God and the peace of God.
So it is that forgiveness, forgiveness is something that God has called us to do. But it isn't natural for us. Forgiveness is something Jesus introduced to the world, but it's not natural to us at all. We see that immediately in the gospel in Matthew 26. Peter had been with Jesus from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, had heard the Sermon on the Mount with his own ears, had picked up one of the baskets of bread that was left over when he fed the 5,000 men and their families. Jesus, excuse me, Peter had a firsthand experience with Jesus, but he didn't get forgiveness immediately. And so it was in the Garden of Gethsemane This account was in all four Gospels. And so there's some details that aren't in Matthew. And you can read the four different Gospels to piece the story together. But we know this was Peter. When Judas came to betray Jesus, said, friend, Jesus asked him to Judas, why have you come? Then they came up, took hold of Jesus and arrested him. This is Matthew 26. At that moment, one of those with Jesus, we know this was Peter from other scriptures, reached out his hand and drew his sword. He struck the high priest's slave and cut off his ear. Then Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place because all who take up a sword will perish by a sword. Now we also know Jesus scooped up the ear and healed the ear. But the point I want you to see here is that Peter was impulsive, vengeful, violent, natural. Instinctive, because that's how we all would respond if our friend was being captured. And here was his reaction. He didn't get Jesus yet. He had heard the message. He had been around the miracles, uh, but he had not yet seen the resurrection power of the Lord. We also know that Peter had not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet filled him, and so he was acting naturally Not supernaturally, but as the years progressed and just a couple of decades down the road, Peter was writing a letter to the churches in Galatia. And he said these words in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 9. He's giving a list of the way we should live our Christian life. And he said, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult. Are taking a sword and cutting off an ear. Right? We know his story. But giving a blessing. Since you were called for this. So that you can inherit a blessing. Paul, who was Saul. Who was killing Christians. Defending his religion. Circling the wagons. And trying to be a defender of God. As he knew God. Not understanding who Jesus was. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it changed him also. We see here the scripture in Romans 12, 20. He says this, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Paul also had the same theme. 1 Corinthians 4, 12 says it this way. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. This did not come from Peter. This did not come from Paul. This came from Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ 
change the world by introducing a concept of forgiveness. Jesus Christ changed the way people related to one another under religion by saying it's not good enough to say, I love the people who love me and I hate the people who hate me. No, we love and we pray and we greet and we bless our enemies. And that's a real easy sermon to preach and a real hard sermon to live. But I come to you today, not in some moral authority to say, hey, this is the things I've forgiven of. So now you guys all have to do the same. Because I realize that many of you are dealing with issues that I have no understanding of. There is no way I can understand the emotions you're going through. Are the challenges you have to forgive. There's no way I can identify with your pain. So I don't come to you with my authority. With with my story. I come to you. Giving you the message of Jesus. And to say Jesus has said forgive. Jesus has said forgive. That's hard. That doesn't feel natural. That's not instinctive. That's why we have to have God. So, brothers and sisters, if we want to be Christians, which was a name given for little Christ, if we want to be sons and daughters of the Father, we must forgive. We must forgive. So now let me talk to you about forgiveness, because a few years ago I had a conversation with one of my pastors about forgiveness And I realized some things that have changed the way I view forgiveness. And now I want to share them with you. When it comes to broken relationship, there are three categories. Three categories that we deal with. The first one is what we're talking about today is forgiveness. Forgiveness is often confused with reconciliation. Forgiveness is often confused with restoration. So it is that if Steve has done something against me, But you have not, Steve. You are a safe target. The only thing you've done for me is sit behind me every Sunday when this section's empty and and you show up and it it blesses my heart. So, if Steve has offended me, I need to forgive Steve. Often what we do is we wait for Steve to admit he's done something to me. We say, if Steve admits that he's done something to me, then I'll forgive him. If Steve pays me back the money he stole, I'll forgive him. If Steve publicly acknowledges that he is a sinner and he's a liar and he has unjustly done something to me, then I'll forgive him. But that's not how forgiveness works. Forgiveness is one-sided. It's me setting Steve free. Even if Steve doesn't admit he's done anything wrong. Even if Steve or anybody else, I've said your name a whole bunch now. Um, Even if Jane Doe doesn't think she's done anything wrong. Or her heart is so hard, she won't admit she's done anything wrong. I don't wait for her before I forgive her. I don't wait for him before I forgive him. I release my brother or my friend. He might not even be a Christian. I release this other person. And they don't owe me anymore. Steve doesn't owe me an apology. He doesn't owe me money. He doesn't owe me uh, an explanation. I'm going to forgive him. Okay? That's forgiveness. 
Now, what reconciliation is, is when you and I agree that what happened was bad. We agree, and our story is the same. We agree, and we forgive one another. And the truth is, that doesn't always happen. But that's what we're waiting to happen. See, we're waiting uh, for the other party. We're waiting for the other person, and we want reconciliation. We want the accounts to match up. We want the stories to connect. And sometimes that happens. But it doesn't always happen because there's two people involved in the situation. And so God's calling us to forgive. And reconciliation may happen, but it doesn't always happen. Reconciliation could happen, but God doesn't want you to wait and put your life on hold. Because the person who is damaged the most by unforgiveness is me. Even though the wrong may be on the other party, I'm the one in chains. I'm the one broken. And then the last, you know, the last category is restoration. And restoration would be if the relationship was the same as it was before. And the truth is, that doesn't always happen. Occasionally it does. And sometimes it doesn't need to happen. If a wife has been abused by her husband... They don't need to restore that relationship. That would be damaging to the wife. That would be an unsafe environment for her. So God will lead you in that. The reason I talked about these three different categories is many of us equate forgiveness with restoration. And we think that, oh, to forgive someone, I have to go back to that depth of relationship I was before. That may not even be God's will. That may not even be good for you. Are you waiting for reconciliation? You're waiting for everyone to agree on the story, and that may not happen. But what you can do, you can do is you can choose to forgive. You can change your will to forgive someone. And man, that is not easy. And this is what I'd like for you to consider today. I'm not naive enough to think that in the last eight minutes we have a church together that we're going to solve all this forgiveness deal. And as we walk out today, we're all going to forgive anyone who's hurt us. God can do anything, so I don't want to limit God, but that's not a likely scenario. So this is what I want you to consider this week is to take one step. One step for forgiveness, not reconciliation, not restoration, one step to forgiveness and there's a lot of different ways you can take that step. I mean, there's probably a dozen different ways. Let me just suggest a couple. There's a book called Total Forgiveness that R.T. Kendall wrote. It's not the scripture, but it's a really good book. It's all over the world. It's in airports all around the world. Um, R.T. was here two years ago and preached this message right here in this building. He takes that message all over the world. He so happens, after having decades of ministry in London, he lives in Hendersonville now. Last time I talked to RT, he said they had the book at the Publix there on Gallatin Road because they, they got to know him, the, the management there. But you can get it on your Kindle today, whatever the case is. Like I said, it's not scripture. It's not equal to scripture, but it's been very, very helpful to a lot of people. So that might be a good start for you. Here's another step for some of you, not all of you, but for some of you. This week, you may just need to say hello to somebody. Just say, hey, 
What's up? That could be a huge step. I see this in teenagers all the time. It's crazy how teenagers, they get in fights and then they don't even talk to one another. It's back to primitive culture. I'm going to shun you. You do not exist to me. I will not greet you. I will not say hello. And, and God's saying, hey, that's what non-Christians do. But let's start with a hello. An acknowledgement of somebody's existence and something good could happen. There's something we can all do. It's not easy. I don't say this lightly as we can pray. Pray for them. Pray for our enemies. It's a challenge because prayer changes your heart. Prayer gets God's heart. Prayer gets you out of the natural into the supernatural. But you can pray. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. It be one sentence, one word, even a thought. God directs our thoughts. But pray for them. Pray for them to be blessed. I, I invite you to do this because that's what the scripture says. Not because my story is better, is more severe than you, or I'm an expert at this. But as your pastor, it's what God has said, and your word has said, I pass it on to you. Amen. Let's stand together in, in an attitude of prayer. You know what I love about going to church with you guys? This is what I love about going to church. You could have heard a sermon a lot of different ways today. Online, in your bed, watching a something online or watching Christian TV and you could have heard some just spot on music today. I mean, the music was great, but I'm talking about the stuff on Spotify and iTunes where no mistake, just perfect stuff. But we heard this flawed message through a flawed messenger today together. And when we experience God's word together, then we get a chance to respond to God's word together. And so these last few minutes we have together are intentional. They're intentional for you and God and us and God. That we could take this concept and celebrate our Savior. Our Savior who introduced to this world forgiveness and now supernaturally will put forgiveness in our hearts. And if you choose to eat the bread and drink the cup today, you're taking all of Jesus. Not just the teachings you like, but the teachings that challenge you. And you're saying, I want to be like Christ. I take all of you, Christ. I take all of you. Some of you.